0: Aloha, I'm Ash.
1: Aloha, I'm Matt. We are the Yoga Couple. Welcome back to another episode of the Inner Work Podcast.
0: Today's episode is called Loving Through Your Differences. Of course, this is one of our favorite topics, which is navigating the challenges of relationship. And we have a special guest. His name is Dr. James Creighton, and he is the author of the book Loving Through Your Differences. He's also written several other Books and has worked with couples and conducted communication trainings for nearly 50 years. He's also been married for 50 years. So his book about loving through your differences is all about his personal testimony as well as his academic research and studies on how do you navigate the problems and challenges, obstacles, differences that come up in opinion when you're in a long-term relationship. It's really interesting. Like Most of us get into businesses or pretty much any other situation, even when you apply to school or you start a company or you start a new job, there's a set of agreements and almost a strategy of how you're going to navigate this new uncharted territory. You know exactly where you're heading, you have a plan. When we've opened up our businesses, we had an operating agreement of how we were going to navigate disagreements and challenges. Yeah,
1: there's literally like strategies in the agreement on how to handle disagreements. Yeah,
0: it's called an operating agreement. You (laughs) get into a relationship which is the most fragile and close to our heart things sensitive sensitive and we have no plan we just get into a relationship believing that the partner that we're with likes the same things as us sees everything the same way we have this like united take on the world and then time goes by and all of a sudden all the differences that we didn't know were there start to come up to the surface and it could be really discouraging because We start to think, are we with the right person? Why doesn't our partner see the same things we do? Why don't they want the same things as us? And you wonder, are we going to be able to get through this or are we not?
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting when we enter into relationships to start to realize that usually, you know, most of our lives, we probably assumed that our way was the one and only way to perceive reality. And when you are finally in an intimate relationship where you actually spend a lot of time together, uh, such as a marriage, you really start to see that the way you view things are not the only way. And and it's not that, you know, your partner or you are right or wrong. It's that you're both are right. And that's the funny thing about perception and about reality. And I love in this book, uh, Dr. Creighton really goes into that a lot about how we... Perceive our own reality, our own emotional reality, and one of my favorite parts uh, that I got a lot out of was uh, two two main things: is is to remind myself that we have our own emotional reality and to stick with feelings, you know, and and well, this is just what I thought, this is what I felt, rather than just making blanket judgments, and so staying away from like kind of declaring what reality is because. What if your partner or other people don't feel that way? Suddenly it leads to confrontation. And the other thing I found really amazing too about this is values. You know, like each partner brings their own values and history and story to every decision, every event you you share together. And, you know, Ashley and I, for example, have extremely different backgrounds. And we find ourselves all the time kind of looking at life differently, but with, with Equally, va- like really enjoyable values, good values. And it's interesting when it comes to relationships and you both have like good values you're representing. Um, maybe one partner's like, well, I really want us to be secure and to be responsible. And the other partner's like, well, I really want us to be free and enjoy freedom. And both of those values are, are good things you want in the relationship. The question then becomes, though, this is, I think, what Ashley and I, this was definitely the, the biggest help in reading this book is how do you go about making decisions when those two values are at odds? You know, one partner's like, yeah, but we need to be free. And the other partner's like, yeah, but we need to be responsible. And it's leading to confrontation. How do we go about finding compromise? And I love this book, really, you know, Loving through Differences goes into that and is extremely practical, right? Wouldn't you say, Ash, like amazing practical guidelines I found reading this.
0: Yeah, it's like we have all of these things that come up when we're in relationship. We have... To decide how we're gonna spend our money, how we're going to, you know, handle our careers, where we're going to live, how we're going to raise our kids, and then those are just the bigger life decisions. There's also difference of opinion and just like the little mundane things of life, like when it comes down to just cleanliness or dividing up house chores. And, And all of those differences in opinion are what inevitably lead to conflict. And like I said earlier, it's so funny that you go into business and you have an operating group and you know exactly how you're going to handle conflict, but you get into a relationship and there's just no plan. This book gives you a plan. How are you going to handle a disagreement when you both feel really valid, you both feel really right? What do you do? Does someone need to compromise? Does someone have to give up You know their, their viewpoint and um, give in to the other person? Is that always how it has to be? Is there a way for us to both have a win-win situation Mm. and I think you know you know James he's been doing communication trainings for 50 years and he's worked with families and he's worked with couples and he's obviously had a successful marriage for for 50 something years so his book is really a personal testimony of of how you're going to do this
1: Mm. Yeah, so without further ado, let's let's bring Dr. Creighton on and and get into some of the beautiful gems that he reveals in his new book, "Loving Through Differences." I, I I got into the book uh, out of personal interest myself. Uh, you know,
2: all couples fight some. Uh, some couples fight a lot, and uh, my wife and I were in the latter category. The question was, what could, what could we do that would uh, make it less hurtful, and so forth. So this, this book sort of, we've been married now 53 years, so this is the first 50
1: years. Wow. So, you know, is that really then what inspired you to write Loving Through Your Differences, is just your own personal experience and testimony of relationship and how we naturally go through confrontation? Well, I've worked in situations over the years where couples,
2: groups, uh, even large groups have been in confrontation. And so I've gotten very interested in what, uh, what makes things escalate and turn into hurtful kinds of things. Um, it's, but there's no question that a, a driving force has been uh, uh, making my own life less painful.
0: The subtitle of the book is Building Strong Relationships from Separate Realities, and I found that quite interesting. What do you mean by separate realities?
2: Well, my wife and I found that some of the most difficult issues to resolve were issues that were based in different perceptions of, of what a situation was. Now, to, to give a very simple example, uh, my wife and I go to a movie, and I find the movie delightful, and you know, I thought it was super. And she instead is bored out of her gourd and she doesn't like car chases anyway. And on we go. It's a fact, or that she was bored. It's a fact that I found it fun. Uh, it's not a fact that it is or isn't a great movie, and so on. And I find a lot of couples get hung up on because of their experience. They interpret something a particular way and that causes them to feel what they feel. That's uh, important because what I'm saying is that feelings are not just caused by external events. They're external events plus the meaning that we bring to them. Mm. And so that we, we interpret that in, in light of our own personal meaning.
0: That's so interesting and and i found that so helpful because you know obviously when you're entering into um some sort of dispute you both feel like you're right and in a sense you kind of both are so i really appreciated um you elaborating on that in your book it's it's been really wonderful well
2: it makes quite a difference in a dispute whether you're disputing with somebody who's wrong bad incapable of arriving at an intelligent judgment and so forth, or you're in a dispute with somebody who has a different set of meanings than you have. Uh, second one doesn't, doesn't imply that the other person is somehow a bad person.
1: Uh, you still have a dispute, but you understand that they're not coming from a bad place. They're not evil. They're not trying to get you so forth. Right, absolutely. So in the first chapter of the book, you explain how we each have an emotional reality of our own, and you kind of mentioned a little bit of it just now, but could you elaborate a little more, too? What is this uh, emotional reality that we each have in a relationship?
2: So each each of us brings our own set of what what things mean, and so emotions are always a product, both of the external events, and what that event means in your experience. And nobody else has exactly the same set of, of experiences, of ways you were raised, churches you parents attended, mm. uh, military training, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we each interpret the experiences
0: differently. Yeah, that's been a really interesting thing for, for Matt and I to navigate. Um, we've been together for about five years now, and our upbringings are so contrastingly different and it's come out in just little nuances of life from how we view like cleaning a dish down to you know really big life decisions and it's been really interesting to kind of pause and and reflect on why we're coming from that vantage point it has a lot to do with our upbringing and our past and um, we've we've been navigating our that ourselves and speaking of all of that, you, you encourage us to see our partner, then, if we're coming from different vantage points, as our teacher, and we always say this in a really endearing way to each other, Matt and I, like, you're my greatest teacher. How would you, you know, advise our listeners, what practical, you know, wisdom could you offer them to begin to sort of step into that, to see their partner as a teacher?
2: Well, it's- that's an attitude shift that gets played out in action. If I come out of the movie and say, that was a great movie, uh, she's gonna react. She's gonna say, that was a dumb movie, your adolescents are even liking it, and so forth. Um, what we've done then is I've evaluated the movie. i said set a judgment, and I get judgments back. If instead I come out and say, I really enjoyed that movie, she can say, I was bored to tears, and both are right. And, and two two contradictory feelings can coexist side by side two contradictory judgments can't so one of the first steps in beginning to understand each other's meanings is to share feelings rather than judgments mm. so i I enjoyed it instead of it was good she was she was bored instead of it, it's a bad movie just the discipline of doing that first of all it reduces the number of fights that get started. But more than that, as you start communicating what you're actually feeling about things, you get clearer on what the causes are. The, the problem with the emotional reality is we've kind of internalized it since childhood, and we don't, uh, don't even necessarily know ourselves what it's all about. And the way you start to begin to rediscover what it's about is to share feelings and then share things you can think of in your childhood or other experiences that have something to do with why you feel that way. And you begin to, you begin to learn from each other of other possibilities. And the problem is that the emotional realities can limit us. We think of ourselves in a certain way and as we think of ourselves that way, we don't try out things that are outside that definition. And so you can begin to learn from each other ways of interpreting and experiencing life that are
1: different right absolutely you know it's interesting too because i've always thought it's it's almost as if we think our view of life is the one and only way and when we get stuck into that it's it's just like you were saying the every statement we make when we start paying attention it almost seems like we're making a judgment statement about everything and uh, (laughs) when, when we start actually monitoring our language, it seems just like you pointed out, you know, I felt like that was a great movie versus that was a great movie. That was by far the best. And ironically, when we actually study our language, yeah, we're we're actually projecting our one and only view onto everything constantly. And it really takes a, a new awareness to start paying attention to kind of taking accountability for, well, this is just how I felt or how I experienced it, but it's not the only way to experience it. And I think that's something that maybe really gets taken for granted, and I've really enjoyed in the book drawing attention to that.
0: And maybe not everybody (laughs) has to have the same one as us, and there's something to learn. I really appreciated that, too. It's even a a step further
2: if you can go to the actual feeling. I really enjoyed it, or I was bored, or whatever, and get off the judgment kick altogether in terms of whether it was a good or a bad movie.
0: Mm. You also um, encourage couples to use this problem-solving process that um, you say in the book, instead of saying, you have a problem or you are the problem, you encourage us to say, we have a problem. And I really liked <laughs> this part of the book. Could you tell us more about that distinction between you are the problem and we have a problem?
2: Yeah, because you, if you start out with you're the problem, you quickly escalate to the point you're attacking the other person. They're, they're to blame for the bad experience you're having right now. Uh, whereas if we have a problem, uh, yeah, we, we we do, but we need to work together to solve the problem. So it's an invitation to jointly deal with the problem rather than an accusation of the other person Uh, now there's some basic steps in that problem solving process that have some other insights in them like we keep separate the first step which is problem identification from the second step which is coming up with alternatives because what usually happens is after one or two sentences to say what's upsetting you and so forth. You launch into we could do this, we could do that, we could do this, so forth. You're not ready for that. You don't necessarily understand what the real issue is, what the real problem is, and so on. And it's also real easy if you can get into solutions to put down the other person's solutions or to get into defending your solution against the other person's solution. So it's his his solution, her solution, and a fight to the death, and so on. If you, in the second step, if you use brainstorming rules, which is that you generate alternatives without without judgment, without comment, and so forth, and you generate lots of solutions. Well, if you've come up with four or five ideas about how to solve the problem, you you don't feel the same defensiveness and need to, need to justify that you do if you have your solution and she has hers. Mm. You go on there's, there. There's quite a bit of stuff built into the six steps that I recommend. But frankly, the biggest value we have found was that we had a reference as to where we were in the in the in the coming up with a solution. So if we knew that we were at the gen, generating ideas stage, we knew what the rules were there as compared with the problem definition stage or the Uh, agreeing on a solution stage and so on it provided a framework that was helpful for us
0: Mm, I I really like that a lot this was my favorite part of the book because you just gave such a practical outline on how to problem solve with your partner when you're coming through from different you know perspectives of course the book is called loving through your differences and I think you know this is one of the biggest questions, I mean, we even get as the yoga couple and, and on our podcast is from couples wanting to know how to navigate issues in the relationship and um, a lot of the time they're trying to, and I mean, me and Matt, you know, go through this as well as trying to convince the other person of something rather than um, really identifying, you know, what the problem is or what the issue is between both people because we might actually have a different Issue, and we think we're talking about the same thing, but we might not be. And um, this part of the book is just, you know, for our listeners, is the practical application that we're all searching for. And um, you just outline it in such a practical way, like step by step. This is how you can um, get to a point of resolution.
2: Well, one of one of the challenges with with problem solving is that people often get hung up trying to solve a relationship problem with content. So so you start, you have a family that's uh, got a transportation problem of some kind, and everybody kind of is getting taken care of except mom who has to take the bus and so forth. And uh, when you get into the problem solving, you get into all kinds of variants of, you know, selling the car you've got now and buying two cheap ones or all kinds of stuff like that. When what the real, real issue may be is mom feels like she's getting taken advantage of everybody's needs get taken care of except hers and so forth and responding to that relationship issue may be much more important to her than what kind of car she's in
0: Mm. Mm. I resonate with that a lot
1: and so when we come across these uh, natural differences what would you advise as the effective communication style to, to use
2: well first judgments. Uh second part is uh go into listening mode in a heavy way. <laughs> and uh, in the book i there's a skill called active listening, which is I found one of the most valuable skills, which is to summarize in your own words what the other person is feeling and thinking and checking it out with them. Mm. Uh it's a challenging skill, it takes practice uh to be able to learn and so on, but once you've got it you'll find it, its application in all kinds of parts of life. My, um, the big thing, I think, is to somehow break the pattern of resistance. Uh, what, what usually happens in a fight is every 20 seconds, one or the other of you is telling the other person they're wrong, bad, stupid, crazy. One of the things my wife and I found that way, we had a therapist friend who taught us something called the five-minute rule. And the way that works is uh, you start to see yourself escalating. Either one of you can say five-minute rule, and if you do, you stop dead on everything. All you can talk about is who goes first. And that person then gets five minutes to say whatever he or she wants, any way they want, and preferably without any loud body language coming back the other way. Uh, and then in return, at the end of the five minutes, you switch, and the second person gets their shot. The reason it works is five minutes is a long enough time, not being interrupted, not being told you're wrong. Some of this heat and steam goes out of it, and so forth. In fact, I find that in about four minutes, I'm even beginning to bore myself. <laughs> uh, so that and it often ends kind of simply with, "Well, well, I don't have any more to say." <laughs> and she kind of grudgingly says, "Well, I don't have any more to say either. That's not a bad place." Uh, from there, it's fairly easy to jump off into uh, problem-solving and or go off and think about what your partner said and so forth and begin to do the self-examination that's necessary for something to change.
0: I like that. Um, you know, we are reading your book right now. So yesterday, uh, Matt and I were getting into a disagreement, and uh, Matt asked me to repeat back to him what he had said in my own words, and when I did, he said, "That's that's not what I said at all." And it was really effective because I got to see that you know I wasn't comprehending or hearing him clearly, and um, just that that act of repeating back what we heard until you know it's it's accurate and clear and in and unders- we understand one another was was really effective for us. And we haven't tried this five-minute rule yet, but I'm sure we're going to in the future of just letting each other speak un- in an uninterrupted way for five minutes. I'm excited to do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason, uh, oh, an important issue is when, when you do the
2: summary of the other person, be sure you summarize what they're feeling as well as the content of what they said. Right. Mm. So they really felt hurt, or you really felt upset, or you really felt resentful, or whatever it is, uh, at least half of the message is the emotion. And if you just repeat the summary of the information in there, uh, what they said, after a while, you'll start sounding like a parrot, and, you know. Right. You know you
0: yeah. And then not really absorbing or understanding it. Cause you're right. It's so much about us being hurt in our, in our feelings. The
1: feeling. Yeah. Like we that. try to always say, okay, I, I, I hear you. You're feeling frustrated because ABC or you're feeling upset because of this, 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 and kind of our, our kind of natural thing is to always start with the feeling and then back up the feeling with the content that the person shared. And, um, kind of using that as our active listening. I'm curious with the 5 minute rule, how that's going to play out. I feel like the 5 minute rule really probably helps especially when it comes down to feeling heard especially, right? Like this is more so to really allow space for the the other for each partner to get to express themselves. Is that really the deep deepest goal for that? Yeah. We save it particularly Ah, okay. Uh, we talk a that if you want, but when 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 the intensity is getting high and we're you know charges back and forth and so forth, um, one thing I've found is probably the hardest person to do active listening with is the person you love
2: mm. uh, when they know how to push your buttons and uh, and their charges and counter charges and so on will. Tr- will trigger you more than, than anybody else. Right. So Maggie and I have found that uh, to, li- to listen to uh, the other person seems to require you have a little space inside where uh, that's not occupied by your feeling, that mm. you can let the other feeling in. And uh, when we use the five-minute rule, it's usually we haven't got any space left inside to hear the other person. Ah, uh, okay. So uh, the, the rule about... Sending feelings instead of judgments would help on the five minutes. Mm-hmm. But if 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 you set that up as a rule, then pretty soon someone, oh, you're not listening properly. Not. <laughs> and then the whole right the whole point of the five minutes is blown right there. So you kind of have, kind have of just let the five minutes let rip, however however they need to come out and so forth. Uh, understanding that the way things come out at first, uh, feelings are a lot like uh, water running down a hose. If you close off the opening, uh, when you first let go, you
0: kind of get a lot of crud corruption that can be built up and can come out, and then, then the clean, clean water flows in afterwards. I think so, a little bit like that. At first, it comes out with uh, all kinds of accusations and charges and so forth, and then eventually it settles down to, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that, and so forth. I like that. It's like a big energy discharge and we're, we're just going to let each other, you know, get it out. And um, I think that's nice to not just go back and forth and get lost in an argument and instead just, you know, sit quietly and take it and hear it and, and let the other person get it out. I think it's a really good strategy.
1: And when that's happening, I, I want to kind of go into that. You were saying this five-minute rule is really effective for escalation. So let's get into that because I think that's one of the, the nastiest parts of confrontation or disagreements with partners is the escalating process. So let's get right into that. What is the uh, – I feel like your book has wonderful tools to go about escalating and how to handle it in an effective way. What would you say, uh, if you could summarize it for our listeners – what is that effective strategy to handle escalation? Well, first of all,
2: let me let me stop and be sure that everybody knows what this, I mean by escalation. Most of the time in arguments, we start out with some blame or accusation of some kind. Uh, and It may be something really s- simple or even stupid, like leaving the cap off the toothpaste. What happens, though, is that as you escalate, you move from leaving the gap off the toothpaste, all the way on up to the point where your whole goal of the interaction becomes to hurt the other person, either verbally or sometimes even physically. And so what I've tried to do is to figure out what are the stages in the escalation and come up with uh, ways that we're gonna handle it. So my wife has set several rules for how to handle escalation. One rule is uh, don't expand the issue. And yet yeah, we both do that every now and then. <laughs> but, but if with the rule there, we kind of can catch each other and I'll grudgingly acknowledge, yes, I was expanding the issue. And I'll try and push myself back down to the original thing. Another rule is don't use other people's ammunition. One of the things at the higher stages of escalation is people use allies has ammunition. Mm-hmm. You know, your sister said this. Your mother said this, or a neighbor said this, and so forth, and so on. And all that happens, of course, is if you claim certain allies, is the other person will claim other allies. And it could be a person. It could be a, a book you agreed on to read, or it could be uh, a minister or teacher or somebody like that. You you claim their that what they're saying is uh, a proof that what you're saying is right. The point is, first of all, to be able to know the stages so that you can begin to flag them when they, they happen and then be able to have some kind of rules in place so that you, you don't in, continue to engage in that behavior and you can
0: de-escalate. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's so funny that, you know, with other other things in life, like you go into a business or, I don't know, any other thing in life, there's there's strategies and agreements, and then we get into a relationship and find that we don't really have a strategy at all or any agreement set in place for, for how to navigate, you know, the next 50 years together. So um, this book is so amazing because it, it really outlines a strategy for navigating the inevitable disagreements that you're going to experience when you're in a a long-term relationship or any type of relationship honestly i feel like these tools that you provide can be applied to you know parenting can be applied friendships and even business relationships not just love relationship
2: yeah i've done a lot of training with it in uh, management training and so forth and some of the same same principles apply uh,
1: particularly the uh, how you send your feelings and the listening and the problem solving. Yeah, we found them really enjoyable to go over and we're excited to keep implementing all these things. And and on that note, something that I found super fascinating was the discussion on values and value choices. Because this one I think is what a lot of people can really relate to is what happens when you both are wanting to make a decision and both values in their own right are wonderful values so it turns into this tricky situation. You know, there could be two values getting represented that are totally uh, important and you need to have. But when it comes down to making a decision, wow, it can get incredibly tricky. Uh, what could you elaborate on when it comes to relationships and making these value choices? What strategies can couples use? Well, once again, the challenge is to uh, make things
2: explicit so that you, uh, you come to understand what your values are. But say, say it can be easily over child-rearing or something like that. Uh, one parent sees the other as uh, setting all kinds of rules and trying to control the child and so forth. And the, and the other parent is seen as permissive and lax and so forth. And so on. Uh, there are two goods under that. There's, there's a need for order, discipline, and there's a need for uh, spontaneity, freedom, so forth, and so on. And if you start out from the assumption that because the other person is pushing to you to be more relaxed with the child and so forth, uh, you're going to see them as the enemy and the fight is on. Or, or, or you're seen as controlling and always uh, after the child has set limits and so on. Now the truth is, both values are necessary. Uh, you need freedom and, and and independence, and you need. Discipline.
0: this ties back to you know everything that you had previously in the book about starting to see what you can learn from each other and also using your um, strategies for finding solutions you can also apply here you talk about something closer to the end of the book called reframing and if you could just give us an example of how we might be able to use this skill of reframing when we're navigating our relationship
2: Well, one of the challenges is if you know you bring a particular meaning to a situation, is there a way that you can go about changing the meaning you bring so that it changes your feeling? Uh, I had an example in class. I had a, a guy who liked to go off with the boys and hunt every so often. And whenever he came home, his wife was, according to him, badgering him with questions like, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you go see so-and-so? And, so? and it was, to him, it was, uh, he interpreted her behavior as checking up on him and the jealous behavior and so forth and so on. When we worked on what, what alternative meanings could, could explain the same circumstances, we came on the fact that a lot of her behavior was a need for reassurance. And so if the way, reason she was asking all the questions and so forth was she needed to be reassured, she wanted to be sure she was loved and so forth, had explained her behavior, but it gave him the option of an entirely different set of behavior, which instead of getting all resentful and upset and angry, he began to try to move, move forward in terms of telling her that he cared for her and loved her and engaged in reassuring behavior. Uh, he was able to change his his reaction to her, and that's the whole idea with reframing: is to ex- expand your repertoire of meanings so that you get a you begin to adopt meanings that still explain the behavior, but give you a greater freedom of, of ways to act.
1: Mm, expand your repertoire of meanings. <laughs> I like that all the things we typically would maybe frame as negative, like you were just saying, like her asking all these questions, maybe would be perceived as say nagging and it would have a negative connotation. But if we actually reframe it in a positive light in in just saying, well, in reality, maybe she just wants reassurance or maybe it's just her, you know, showing love and and care. And I love that there's a whole list in uh, to give reference for the listeners. There's a great list in the book of just all the, uh, you know, classic, Traits that maybe we would view in a negative light, Um, passivity, uh, being combative, being oppositional, you know, and then you have this beautiful other version of that that's the same concept, the same emotional energy, but in a positive way. And it really does help a lot. Um, I feel like already just in the last few days of being more aware of this. I'm trying to expand my repertoire of meaning.
0: Yeah, because Matt, Matt loves it because now he doesn't have to think I'm nagging anymore. <laughs>
1: I'm just It's interesting because I'm noticing, you know, maybe some negative... Uh, View perspectives of say things Ashley will do or other friends and other relationships will do and instead of getting upset about that I'm, I've am i been actively trying to expand the meaning and, and find a more positive meaning for what that behavior could be and you're right, it, it does shift the reaction to it it suddenly is not such a uh, Problem. problematic thing it's actually something that can actually become endearing I'm finding that,
2: that's fabulous, my experience is it's hard work to change your meanings, but hard work, but necessary.
1: Mm. Absolutely.
2: The, the one thing I would add is that uh, reframing is not just for other people's behavior. It's also reframing uh, your experience of who you are. Mm. Uh, most of us put on versions of what kind of person we were supposed to be from, from, parents or other important adults in our lives when we were very, very young. And, uh, you know, if I hear a parent telling her child, boy, boy, are you stupid, and so forth and so on, I shudder because I know very well that those kinds of definitions get stuck. And uh, if you want to have a kid be stupid, keep telling them how stupid they are because they're they're learning a a meaning about themselves. Right. And so we have to do some reframing of our own interpretations of what kind of people we are, like uh, even simple things like, uh, I'm lousy at math. Uh, Well, Were you lousy or is that the feedback you got at a particular age? Maybe there are even circumstances that had somebody helped you out, you might not just like math and so on. Because you want to have a frame around yourself that enables you to be effective
0: yeah and all of that all that stuff from our childhood all the all the upbringing and everything we're exposed to in our environment just becomes you say in your book our our inner self-talk and um our inner self-talk really just dictates how we're experiencing our reality not the other way around that our circumstances are you know making us feel any certain way it's really our perception of everything so our last question is you know for the listeners is what what could we do to start reprogramming the inner dialogue or the narrative that we have about our life um all those negative internal messages we're listening to you know about ourselves or about our partners how can we start to uproot uproot and reprogram that
2: well you mentioned the self-talk it's it, it, is something that's has proved very valuable for many people, uh, which is you start listening to what you're telling yourself. And uh, all of us have a little inner voice that comments on uh, what we're doing and how we're handling things and so on. And so there's an inner voice that's saying, boy, was that done. You sure could handle that better and on and on and on and on. So that, uh, and, and these things seem to be learned by road, uh, they were repeated often enough that we kind of got stuck with that interpretation of things. And what uh, with self-talk, what you do is you literally try to reprogram the talk, so that when you start repeating negative things to yourself, you begin to uh, cut. I know people. I know some people who actually put a rubber band around their wrist when they find themselves doing negative self-talk. Then. They'll snap themselves lightly with the with the rubber band just to get the self-talk stop. And you work on defining phrases, uh, or it's almost like affirmations, things that tell you that the, I am I am this and I am that and so forth. And, and uh, i watch watched guys because I worked with a bunch of guys who were in trouble with the law because of civil violence. And uh, we would have them up in front of a mirror each morning, repeating phrases about. I'm in control, and I don't need to impose my control on anybody else, or whatever phrase worked for them. It's really important that the phrase you use for reprogramming be something that gives you a lot of, a lot of emotional. Warmth. But you can begin to reprogram yourself that way. You can also reprogram with uh, visualizations, um, kind of guided meditation. Talk to a wise person in your meditation and uh, get their comments on who you are and what you are and so forth.
0: Yeah, it seems that if we could really get some awareness around that inner dialogue that's going on, we can make a lot of progress on all these other, you know, fronts of... Um, finding solutions and problem solving and um, navigating the ins and outs of our relationship because we're just more aware of ourselves so I really um, appreciate that especially being that we're the inner work podcast and we are all about becoming self-aware of that inner dialogue and uprooting and reprogramming and um, you do talk a lot about that in your book for our listeners who are curious as to well how the heck do I even begin to build this awareness how do I even start Um, you do cover that in your book overall we just appreciate everything that's in your book because it is a really practical and clear outline of how to navigate relationships with everybody in your life and i truly believe that if everybody you know read this book they would avoid a lot of unnecessary suffering. So um, thank you so much for coming on to this podcast and for giving us the opportunity to interview you and expose more people to, to this beautiful solution-based strategy of how to navigate you know, coming from, from different paradigms in a relationship.
1: Yeah, and how to love through our differences. Well, great. I really enjoyed being with you today.
0: Thank you. Can you tell us, um, just real quick, where our viewers can find your book or um, order your book or hear more from you?
2: Sure. The title of the book, again, is Loving Through Your Differences. It's published by New World Library, and you can get it through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or IndieBound, which is the Association of Independent Bookstores. Uh, Or you can get it through uh, New World Library you want to reach my web page it's jameslcraton.com
0: awesome thank you so much james we've enjoyed speaking with you
1: absolutely thank you so much
0: we hope you enjoyed this episode of the inner work podcast if you have any questions or just want to talk more about anything regarding your relationship or your own personal inner work, we invite you to join our private Facebook group. It's called the Inner Work Community and you can search it within groups on Facebook. Just go ahead and leave a comment, write your questions there. We're going to definitely respond. We respond to every comment in that group and also you're going to get the help and perspective of All the other 800 people in the group who are committed to doing the inner work and are here to, you know, help each other. It really does take a community. So we do invite you to get vulnerable, put yourself out there, and share your questions within that group.
1: And until next time, guys, we'll see you in two weeks. Namaste.
0: Namaste.